a uh, short time ago in my childhood, it was only a couple of years ago, but um, we had a couple of unique books at home, a uh, two-volume set of encyclopedia describing the world's belief systems. This was, of course, before the Internet, so you went to the encyclopedia. And it was interesting reading these two volumes and going through the contents. I don't remember much of it, but I do remember somehow as a young boy, sometimes laughing at what other religions felt was the rituals and the um, goals they had set to become closer to their gods. And I was amazed as a small boy that people believe this nonsense, or at least it seemed nonsense to me. As I continue growing older and as I analyze these belief systems and as my faith and things grow, you realize that all these religions have what seems to be a single goal in mind, and that is to get closer to divinity. They wanted to become part of something greater than themselves. In that sense, the people of God in Israel were blessed beyond measure. I cannot be, imagine being born in some of these cultures that were around at the same time as the Israelites. The hard work and some of the trials and some of the unbelievable rituals they would go through to bring them closer to their God. And yet we here we have an example of a God that dwelt among his people. His people didn't need to get closer to him. He wanted to be with them. So he came down and he built a tabernacle and he dwelt among them. Here we see people that believed in what we call nonsense because they had a desire to get closer to God. And their mistakes and terrible acts were just trials to be closer to their God. So often we take for granted the truths that we have been raised with and we forget to give God the glory for the message of his salvation. I mean, even if we take the word Babylonia in the Babylonian language, it means the gates of God. Even such a great city as this, God did not dwell there, but he did dwell in a tent with his people. I was thinking about the situation in our churches today where people find no desire to come to church. And in the last two centuries, attendance has dropped as in it seems as if people have found other religions or changed their ways. Some people have stopped coming because they worship the almighty dollar. Some have stopped coming because it doesn't seem relative or relevant to them today. Some people say faith cannot be scientifically proven, so therefore I don't need it. Other people find religion weak and irrelevant in today's world. Their life has become too busy, too filled, and too outsourced to be bothered by religion. Other people say if they knew where to find God, they would be more likely to go see him and worship him. However, they don't see God in their lives. They don't feel God's presence today. 
as we focus on our topic today, our topic is not to try and convince the world that God exists. Today we want our topic to be, where is it that God dwells? John Bunyan wrote the wonderful allegory, Pilgrim's Progress. And as we see it start out, we see a man clothed in rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand, and a huge, great burden upon his back. So this is a regular man or a regular woman that you may find in the world today. They live in a world, and most of them have knowledge of God, like that man with his book in his hand, but they have a great burden upon their backs. And the question people ask, what do I do with the burden? Which way do I go? And a few people go from that point looking for real answers. Most of them stop along the middle or even at the beginning and don't finish the journey. The burden we have is with worries and guilt we have inherited as part of our being in a sinful nature. So Pilgrim, in this book, started his journey to the promised land. And I have a question for each of us today. Have we started our journey to the promised land? Did you find any answers to this question about where God dwells? In Psalms 51, we find David, after he had committed a great sin, and Many people, because of this sin, were destroyed. He is no longer thinking of himself as a righteous or a kingly person. However, David knew most, knew more than most, the most important biblical truth. And we read about this in Psalms 51, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. In other words, David is saying, yes, I am bad. Yes, I am sinful. But I know what will please God. And that is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. The message in today's churches seems to have changed from this original message. And we no longer proclaim it. We proclaim how God will empower and enrich you when you come to him. But many go away empty because they have never learned the essential truth. God's dwelling is in a contrite heart and a broken spirit. People like to be enriched with the power of God. They like to get a hold of the riches in heaven. However, they are not ready to give attention to the biblical message that if you want God to come into your heart, it must be broken and contrite. Centuries of Christianity have convinced other religions that Christianity is not a humble and reverent religion. But it should be. It should be characterized differently as rather a religion that allows you, as the the world seems to think about Christianity, it's a religion that allows you to hang around the right people, to go to the right church, to talk like a Christian, to act like a Christian, Maybe even read your Bible, eat like a Christian. And that's all you need to do. Christianity today is no longer willing to pay attention to this message because it forgot 
how to get a broken spirit and a contrite heart. However, we as Christians are ready to teach others what it means to be a Christian without knowing who God is and where he dwells. In our church programs, we emphasize how powerful we will be if we do this or we read that. In fact, I would challenge you to this to this day and to start next year by reading your Bible through in one year. Start with Genesis. Read the Revelation. Read the Bible again for yourself. But let's be careful. I urge you, please don't tell other people you're doing this to make this your salvation. Don't do it. By reading the Bible, we will not be saved. By reading the Bible, we will get to know the one who saved us from this world already and are looking to find out more about the one who we will spend eternity with. God saves us by grace, not in the works that we do. And all we do should be something that is done out of gratitude and out of praise, never because it saves us. However, many people confuse this difference. Church attendance then becomes a great burden because it's a requirement that we must do it. All we need to do every day of our lives is the simple biblical truth written here in Psalms 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you do not despise. When we read in Paul about his ministry to us, he was terrified of the thought that people would dare to consider saving themselves or that he, by any of his efforts, could save himself. Do you think that he said some of his statements just because he wanted applause for his meekness and humbleness? He was plainly explaining that by himself he is the dirtiest man in the world and the closer he gets to Christ, the worse his sinful nature gets exposed in the light of righteousness. And so we read his words when he says, I have been crucified with Christ and am no longer alive, but Christ lives within me. The life I now live in my body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Here we see this great truth that Paul puts before us, the great truth of the heroes of the Bible, this simple truth. Without God, we are nothing. And we may only live through the power of God. And that the peculiar... Uh, the peculiarness of God's power and glory is only being revealed in a broken spirit and a contrite heart. When Paul was trying to explain to the Greeks who God is, we read about this sermon in Acts 17, verses 26 and 27. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. How far is God away from us? Not far. He is near, very near. And in order to find God, 
we must not do any rituals or any sets of activities. All we need is a broken spirit and a contrite heart. How different my words sound from the words of most preachers today. People keep preaching about the privileges and benefits of being Christians. We are trying to conceive, convince the world to come to us using their own language. How pathetic we are. We try to convince people to come to Christ because it will benefit them. Christ never says any such thing. By example, from reading our text from this morning, Christ showed us that his humble birth, that he had no privileges when he came into this world. The king of the universe gave it all up and came to be with us in a lowly stable and laid in a feed trough. Christ came to save us and not to benefit us. Because to benefit us means to upgrade or make us better. But to save, the difference here is pulling us out of a sinking ship. It gets us out of the burning house. It covers us from the flying bullet. That is what Jesus is doing. And that is why all the people that are thinking of the benefits of Christianity are doing God a bad favor. Christ invites us to become a community of saved people, and then only will we understand how deeply we have fallen and how far we are from God. Daily, and then only through daily confession of our Christ as Savior, and daily being reborn and renewing our baptism, only then will we understand what God has for us and to daily understand what Christ has done for us and to see the need that David presented to us. It is unfortunate that David saw this only had fallen deep in sin, but through that unfortunate event, he has given to us information that we need not make that same mistake for all we need is the broken spirit and contrite heart. So once again, we ask the question, where does God dwell? God, yes, does dwell in heaven and invites us all to be there with him. But God is there and we are here. That is a problem. Yes, it is a problem, but not for God. It is a problem for us. God says he can come and dwell in your heart right now. How can this happen? Look at what God says to us in Revelation when he writes to the Laodicean church, which we recently studied about. And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things say the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and he have need of nothing. And do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Let's pause for a moment here and look at these words of the unconverted heart. There is no broken spirit and contrite heart. It is here that we say we are rich and need of nothing. God says 
that at the end of times, this is going to be our main problem. We will not see the need in repentance, in daily repentance of the broken spirit and contrite heart. Continuing on, we read, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eyesalve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke them. Therefore be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne. As I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So when we look at this, it may seem different and weird from the, what the world is teaching today. But I do not preach anything but the word of God. And as always, I always preach to myself because I'm most in need of the word of God. Paul says in the books of Acts that God is not far away from us. John the Apostle in the book of Revelation says God is so close. He's at the door of our heart. All we need to do is open that door. Now I ask you, who's keeping that door closed? Is it your neighbor? Is it the enemy? It's no one but yourself. Only I can keep the heart of my door closed and keep Jesus out of my heart. We are waiting as a church, as a people, for that latter rain which will come down and fill us with that wonderful outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I cannot wait to see this moment. I want to be filled with the Spirit of God and not only think about what is good, but to do what is good and to do what God tells me. I want that day to happen now. We need to go back through and learn what the disciples have done on that day. They were gathered together and broke bread together and prayed with one another. But we need to step back from that a little bit and look at them before in the upper room before Jesus was crucified. At this moment before that last supper, they were found to be arguing amongst themselves as who was the greatest. When you're arguing about who is the greatest, your heart is filled with yourself and not with the Holy Spirit. God wanted to enter their hearts in that upper room, but he was not welcome at that time. It took the tragedy and the saving grace of Christ dying on the cross for the disciples to learn what a broken and contrite heart means. And how it affects them. We see that the world through history has been an example of a few small numbers of people dying for their king and master. But the disciples that were supposed to be the example of courage and strength were instead of remaining with Christ, running away and hiding. All of them betrayed Christ in one way or another at Calvary. So after Jesus was resurrected, do you still think they were asking, who is the greatest? They already knew at this point what their greatness meant. 
And be careful here, I do not judge them because I don't know what I would have done in their place. Would I have been different? Of course, I pray to God and I say, I wish that I would have been different. I wish I could have said, God, I will be the disciple. I will do better. But we have to understand that we cannot do better unless we have that broken spirit and contrite heart. And this is what the disciples were praying to God and asking for after the resurrection. And this is why on that great day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, he was able to fill their hearts. There was nothing in there but God. And so he was able to fill. And then they were able to present that wonderfulness to others. When we look at this phrase, a broken and contrite heart, sometimes we look at that and say, okay, does that mean as Christians then I must look sad? I must be crying all the time at how bad and things are. But we always look to the words where Paul says, no, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice always. We do not need to cry at all times. To be a person with a broken heart and a contrite heart means that we are ready to recognize we need a Savior. And we rejoice always because we know we have one. Rejoice in the Lord so our joy has, has the right reason. And that reason is the Lord. I ask you today, are you tired to stay in this world? How long must it go on with the morals decreasing, with people losing the image of God as we flip past each day on the calendar? Do you really want to go home? I want to go home. I want to see my Lord, for he saves me from myself every day of my life. And I cannot wait to see his face and say thank you for not letting me die and for dwelling in my heart. I want to go home. People die. People get sick. People lose things. People suffer. I want to go home for this world is not my home. God invites us today in his holy presence to enter heavenly ground. We cannot do this by simply coming to him with hearts full of ourselves. There is no room for God where we are full of ourselves. I urge you today to come to God as you are, to ask him to create in you a dwelling place for him. Do not recall how many years you have spent in the church so far. It doesn't matter. What matters is where Jesus is, and is he in your heart today? All you have to do is ask Jesus to enter your heart, but he will not enter if you are full of yourself, in order for Jesus to enter, we must have that broken and contrite spirit and heart. We have started our journey to see where God dwells. If we have started this journey, we will find that we do not need to search, that God will come in, he will fill our hearts, and he will dwell in us. If you are still one of the people living in this world, you may find God is not in your heart. Invite him in to be dwelling with you in your heart today. We hope and we pray, I pray, 
He comes into my heart today. And then He comes into your heart. Amen.